1: It's time to go inside the film room with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry and Scott Seidenberg breaking down college football from a different angle. It's the college football film room podcast. Welcome inside the college football film room alongside veteran scout coach and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. I'm Scott Seidenberg, Chris, on a day in which the NCAA made a landmark decision We'll get to games uh, from last week coming up and preview this weekend slate as well. But we got to talk about this NCAA decision, Chris, in which they have decided, much like California did, that the, the NCAA will clear the way for student athletes to profit from their names, their images, and their likenesses. This was a big move for the NCAA
2: today. Well yeah we talked about it gosh, a few weeks ago and when it became an issue this was, this day was coming didn't know it would be today or you know which specific day but it was coming uh it was inevitable that they were going to have some sort of r- ruling along these lines and all it simply means is the ball was in their court with the state of California and other states coming up with their own legislation that that the NCAA was going to have to do something to say, all right, this is the direction we're moving in. I think it's pretty, pretty obvious that they were going to do this, but the devil's in the details exactly how they're going to deal with it. Uh, is this going to be enough to prevent the States from, uh, dropping their lawsuits or creating more issues in court? Um, you know, this is just getting started. It gives them time to ferret out all the details between January of 2021 when this is going to go into effect. And really what it means is not a whole lot right now. It's it's how they're going to deal with the certain issues. For example, um, certainly having players making money from their likeness is one thing how they're going to be able to control it, how they're going to keep it out of recruiting. Will they be able to do it? All sorts of things that they're going to have to get their, their hand around a little bit. And then all the unintended consequences that come about with the idea, Hey, this sounds like a good idea. You know, let players get paid for their likeness. If they, if they earn, it, they make money? Why shouldn't they get some of it? Well, that is on the surface really good, but for the people that don't really know about how the business works, there's a lot of other issues that need to be handled. It appears that there will be, and this is just supposition here, of what I'm hearing is that there are going to be guardrails put in to certainly prevent schools or the attempt to try to prevent schools from saying, you know, anybody has any recruit that comes here, we can guarantee them a likeness, because that's the issue. It's, well, people from, I, I think it's naivete saying that, Well, there's only going to affect a few players in each team. Of course not. It's going to potentially affect everything in recruiting and how it goes about it. So having those guardrails in place, how closely they're going to be enforced, you know, at this stage, there's just not a whole lot of details. And as we say, the devil's in the details. And so at this point it's, it's it's a landmark day for it to be announced, but really it was inevitable. It's kind of like Christmas. You know it's coming.
0: <laughs> and you,
2: you actually know when Christmas is coming and New Year's is coming. We didn't know exactly the date, but this was coming that they were going to announce something. Now what? Now what does it mean? And what does it mean in terms of lawsuits? How deep they're going to go? What are the, again, the guardrails they're going to put around? Uh, a lot of things going to need to be ferret out. I'm getting a lot of questions about, what does it mean? Is it the end of the little school getting anything now because they're not going to be able to afford? Well, th- remember, there's still a certain amount of kids that are going, I mean, you only got so many scholarships mm-hmm. uh, or, 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 or schools are going to offer kids and say, Hey, look, we can't offer you a scholarship, but we can offer you a likeness deal where you can get money. And I mean, there, there are all sorts of things that need to, because, if there's no parameters, you know, who's to tell a business that, you know what, uh, you can't, you know, give money for a likeness for a kid that's a fourth-team offensive tackle that's a walk-on. I mean, you know, it's up to them. And do they look at it and say, wait a minute, this, this looks a little fishy. Do they investigate it? You see where I'm going with it? There are a lot of things that are unanswered that only time is going to tell how they're going to answer it.
1: And I think the key language here that we see and we have to find out what this means and what they do with it, quote, in a manner consistent with the collegiate model and right. uh, not really sure how to explain it. But that's up to the board members and that's up to the NCAA to figure out how they're going to legislate it because they want it to be, as I said, in that language consistent with the collegiate model. So uh, there's still a-, a ways away from this actually being implemented, but I think a lot of people are excited at the possibilities and, and the fact that this was announced today, maybe put the aid over this and, and kind of lets it go away for a little bit. So people stop uh,
2: pressing the issue. Yeah. If you will. <clears throat> well, that's it. I mean, they want people off their back. Hey, we're gonna, we're on board with that. And then now again, we'll see if the, other legislation forces the issue and because exactly what do they mean? I I think it was put in a vague description on purpose because, you know, the issue is schools don't want to pay. That's not the issue, but outside services can pay kids can, you know, experience money off their likeness. It is the Olympic model, but there again, the, collegiate model is different than the Olympic model and that you can, again, entice kids to come with with lightness money that is on top of a scholarship in lieu of a scholarship. How is this going to be legislated? uh, It's going to be very interesting.
1: Yeah, it is going to be interesting. We'll be monitoring this situation as it progresses. Uh, certainly going to be an issue uh, throughout the next couple of seasons in all of the NCAA Division One sports because uh, I don't think you can talk about a season without talking about this issue. And uh, it'll be talked about as we get to the college football playoff. It'll be talked about as we get into March Madness and, and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. this is definitely not going away. Uh, going back to games from last week, Chris, and, and talking about the major storylines coming out of it, Notre Dame uh, just absolutely doesn't show up in Ann Arbor, right? And, and Michigan, the score is a little deceiving because uh, Jim Harbaugh ran it up at the end. Uh, it wasn't exactly that much of a blowout up until the you know the fourth quarter, and then you know Michigan scoring a bunch late. But there's a lot of conversation after that game about Brian Kelly and his future in South Bend. Uh, we know the name that's on everybody's mind, Chris. It's mm-hmm. it's the name that people keep saying, <laughs> Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer. But as far as Brian Kelly goes, as far as his future, as far as the viability of Notre Dame and their success, where do you see this program moving within the next year or so?
2: Well, I, listen, I have a different view of, look, Notre Dame is always considered kind of the cathedral of college football, And the expectation is that they should be right up there with the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world. And, you know, the reality is they don't recruit a lot of the same guys because there are real academic restrictions. I've already said that Notre Dame is more like Stanford academically in that they recruit nationally. Notre Dame has a bigger national brand than Stanford. But they've got some, uh, some some hurdles academically. So what does Notre Dame want to be? Well, they, for the most part, have always held fast to that, um, that belief of, you know, w- the academic integrity and how they're going to do it. Um, they've not always done that. They've mostly done that. When Lou Holtz got the job, um, they decided that. They they hadn't won a title since 1977, and they decided that that was enough. They wanted to be great in football again, and I'm not going to mention any names that would be uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. classless. But there were a lot of guys that were let into Notre Dame that certainly didn't qualify academically. They were at that time we it were called Prop 48s. They they were non qualifiers, so they were getting those guys into school, and they looked different and. Uh, lo and behold, there came the 1988 championship uh, for Notre Dame. That's the last time they've won it. It was under Lou Holtz. And if you remember, because Lou Holtz had, had gotten run out of Arkansas, and then he ended up taking the job at Minnesota. And then, you know, he and he ends up leaving Minnesota to go to Notre Dame. Well, Lou left a few years later, and the reason was, no one's he's never said this publicly and he always said it was the right thing and the right time to do. I think the job wears on you and I think Lou wears on people. So I think that was, it had a lot to do with it, but it also had a lot to do with the fact that they got a little bit out of control, meaning they became kind of loose. They look like the football factory and they said, wait a minute, we're going a little too far into the football factory and we're not quite, you know, Notre Dame looking. And so they kind of changed it again. So all the coaches since then has had to deal with the academic restrictions. So what does Notre Dame want to be? I get it. They want to look like Harvard, you know, and, you know, Monday through Friday, and then they want to look like Alabama on Saturday. That's tough to do. So you need to decide what you want to do, want to be. I I can tell you this, and I've known Urban since he was a GA. If Urban Meyer goes there, uh the, he ain't going there. He's going to be recruiting like he recruited at Ohio State. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it's going to be character questions, it's going to be academic, it's going to be best football. That's it's the only way he'd want to do it. Now, is that is that what Notre Dame wants? Um, because to me, I think Brian has done a really good job getting the team to a BCS championship game, getting to the playoffs, all things considered but oh, they can't win the big game. And it was an ugly, but again, when you understand the context, be careful what you wish for. If you're going to do business like they currently do business, I don't know that you're going to find a coach better than Brian Kelly. Uh, that's going to do more with what they have. I mean, again, it is a difficult job. Now, if you're going to change the restrictions and you're going to allow for maybe more guys to come in that maybe don't fit the realm. I mean, You got to take calculus as a freshman. You got to live on (laughs) campus. You got to do things that are not, you know, like a lot of big time programs. So, what are they willing to do? And that'll determine who they can get. And if they're willing to do that, Notre Dame has got the money. They're capable of going and recruiting anybody that you want them to. But again, how they're willing to do it, it's going to be key. I, I don't know that Urban wants to coach is healthy enough to coach. I don't think he's a good fit for Notre Dame or USC right. or anybody long range because I don't think he's going to do it very long. Well. I think he's got that Parcel syndrome at a young age because he's got that cyst in his brain that he loves coaching. He l- misses it. But then when he gets in, after about two or three years, <laughs> that's it. And mm-hmm. I just don't know that it's sustainable. But, look, I mean, Notre Dame can do pretty much anything they want. I can tell you this, that there were a number of coaches – that I know that they've tried to recruit uh, in the past that were that that weren't interested in the Notre Dame job because of the restrictions. Um, it's different, and so listen. I think Brian is is taking a lot of criticism. His team didn't play well; that was on him. They didn't. They looked disinterested, totally unprepared. They've not played well in the big time moments, <clears throat> but I would say that getting to the big time moments is not as easy as people think. And I think people that just rubber stamp, Hey, Notre Dame should be winning championships. Um, not unless they, they change the way they do it. And if they don't do it, I think most decisions that they would make probably would, would put them even further back. So we'll see what they're going to do. There's no question. And whether, uh, I don't, I don't sense that there's anything to the urban mire other than uh-huh. just people throwing. Of John. course. Well, look he's
1: been there for nine years. That's a long time. And, yes. and and maybe people are just thinking about, they need another voice in, in the room or, or just uh, they're tired of him. You know, Lou Holtz was there for 11 years and they haven't had that's a coach big. that's been there even no. closer to that. No, you
2: know, since right. arrow Parsegian was in his late forties, uh-huh. like 44. And it, I got to not, he, he, he never coached again. He, that, 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 it's like dog years coaching at Notre Dame. It really is. It is unlike any other job, the pressures. In and and I, I, I'm i going to tell you, I've said this before, I've felt like for Brian that the best thing probably would have been to take another opportunity to move on from it because I do think the shelf life as the coach at Notre Dame is, is a little different and a little shorter. And And I would be curious to see what he would do at a program where he can recruit, um, you know, players that, you know, he didn't have the restrictions that he had and and he's resisted any of those, but you know, I, I do think he would do a much better job than people think.
1: Yeah. He look, he's one, he's a 700 coach. You know, he's he, he's 81 and 34 as a head coach in those nine seasons, which is better than a lot of coaches that they had in between Lou Holtz and Brian Kelly. So for those complaining, you, you're not going to find much guys that are going to come in and do better than that, better than what Brian Kelly has done right. in his nine seasons. Uh, on the other side of the football in that game, Chris, Michigan, with a statement bounce-back victory. And, and if you kind of look at the second half of that Penn State game on – that's now six really good quarters for this Michigan team that's kind of, kind of hitting their stride, maybe. Is this the moment where there's a renewed energy, a renewed sense of, of optimism for this Michigan program where they can finish out the season strong? And like We know it's all about that Ohio State game at the end of the year, but could they put themselves in a position to, to actually have
2: a really nice season moving forward now? Well, there's energy, there's optimism. Um, w- what I see is them adjusting to an offensive identity that's starting to work. Um, again, the Notre Dame situation, notwithstanding, they they did their job and they, they pummeled Notre Dame and defensively, they're really good. Look, they're going to have a good season. Obviously you lose to Wisconsin, you lose to Penn state. Um, that's, you know, a couple of, frustrating loss. The Wisconsin loss was, was, was really tough, but you're right. They've starting to play better. Absolutely. I fully expect them to beat Maryland and Michigan state. Indiana is not going to be easy on the road, but I expect them to win that game. I don't expect them to beat Ohio state, mm-hmm. but if you go in and say, all right, they're nine and three. And I know that for some, they're going to say, That's wait the a cap- minute, capital, long- capital one bowl or citrus bowl. Probably. Yeah, it's not, it's not, you know, when, when, they look at Ohio state and maybe Ohio state will be unbeaten going to the playoffs. No, they're not happy, but they, they also feel like, look, it's, it's still good. And the alternative, do we want to take what we have and continue to tweak it and maybe get it better? And to maybe we take that next step. And, you know, I think though, I I think there's going to be an optimism that, Hey, going into next year to be a little better. I don't know that they're he's going to get it to where it's going to be good enough to beat Ohio State uh, in the next few years, but who knows? I mean, I think the key is for him to get it to where they're ten and eleven wins and at least competitive against Ohio State. And they they have a greater sense of patience with one of their own internally than people on the outside. I think people on the outside that's enough. But then also people on the inside realize. He's done a better job than the previous guys at Michigan recently. Uh-huh. And it's not like it's broken. It's like it's it's needs to be fine-tuned a little bit. That's kind of how they look at it. So, look, I mean, I, I sense improvement, but I would say this. In a in a world where we overreact one way or the other, I would not bury Notre Dame and I would not, you know. Uh, salute Michigan yet and let's just say let's go forward and see how it is I, I fully expect Michigan to win the rest of the games going in to Ohio State and if they can play well and give them a good fight I, I think they'll end this season and say yeah you know we got blown up by Wisconsin but boy if we'd have done this and that it could you know they will talk themselves into next year's our year or what you know I think that that that'll that'll be a continuation because they will never admit it publicly they kind of uh Michigan's a lot like Texas you know I think even deep down they know they're not as good and they're not quite there but they consider themselves always better than they are like we're being we're down on other people and so I think that they they'll they'll talk themselves into that it's better than what it really is and I don't know where they go to get better you know to get somebody better I think they look at it and say you know if anybody's going to fix it it's probably going to be jim because it's not broken and he's got it in better shape than we've had it before he's making a ton of money he's got the resources why not let him continue to try to fix it i think he's going to get more time i felt that all along and i think he will even if he does lose to ohio state and you know i i, I think even if he trips up in another game which i don't see where it's going to be but if it does, I still think you'll get another year. But I think at nine and three, people are gonna paint a pretty picture because they're gonna say, look, down the stretch, they only lost one game to Ohio State. And then God forbid they play Ohio State off their heels. Man, you know, they'll be they'll be celebrating and wanting to give them mm-hmm. an attention. <laughs> Uh, you bet uh i don't
1: want to get too far ahead of ourselves but next week chris is the first college football mm-hmm. playoff rankings uh obviously it's going to be the first one's always late because it's in between the uh college basketball double header so you know they do it at halftime they do it in between the two games of the college basketball double we got a
2: college yeah. basketball next week is that what you're telling next, me? yes next oh, week got, Scott, got you just ruined can- my night are that early it's- Kansas, it. It's Kansas
1: Duke and Michigan State Kentucky at Madison Square Garden. Mm. And in between the two games will be the first college football playoff rankings next week. That's November <laughs> 5th. And then we will go subsequently on each Tuesday before we get to uh, the uh, college football playoff teams in the New Year's Six that so, is revealed. So now, that means,
2: folks, mm-hmm. whenever that is, if it's later, of course, you get this early. Wednesday morning, when you're listening to this, that just means we're going to be doing it taping it a little bit later that night since the halftime. Absolutely, the okay.
1: but but that but but when you wake up on Wednesday morning, whenever you listen to this, we will have the latest rankings for you mm-hmm. and we will break down and debate everything that we have to debate. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, Chris. Okay, mm-hmm. I really don't, but in the spirit of these rankings coming out and in the spirit of where we could be looking a week from now, this. Oregon USC matchup coming up this week is so important for the Pac-12 in the wake of what happened last week with Oklahoma losing because think about this the Pac-12 now boasts two top 10 teams with one loss on their on their schedule if Oregon and Utah meet in the Pac-12 title game both with one loss we could be talking about the best chance in years for the Pac-12 to get a team into the college football playoff. Now, I I know Washington, Washington, whatever, but everyone wants to talk bad about the the, the Pac-12. These are legit contending teams right now, but in order for it to happen, Oregon's got to beat USC so that Utah can take over first place in that South. Selfishly, Chris, I want the Pac-12 in the playoff. You know why? Because one of the semifinals this year is the Rose Bowl, and I would love – to have an Ohio State Pac-12 champion in the semifinals at the Rose Bowl. Come on. That would be amazing for college football. I think that
2: the best Oh no, it's chance. not a
1: semifinal. I'm sorry. The Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl are semifinals. Yeah, this year.
2: yeah. Um
0: well, that ruins my
2: dream. There you go. So much for that. Um, as I think about it, I I really think the best chance is for Oregon. In Oregon to beat Utah. Because of the fact that people
1: they were, were they were winning children. throughout they were winning throughout the whole game yeah. against Auburn and lost with yeah, nine they, and around.
2: Utah hasn't played a, a good team, yeah. um, you know, and so you know that'll be looked at favorably, and they run the rest of their games. That's the only loss in their schedule would be the the conversation, um, and it would it would have a better argument because again we don't know what's going to happen. For all we know. They might just slide right in because chaos may ensue. But as it looks right now, don't see anybody beating Clemson. And, you know, let's just, for the sake of discussion, Ohio State wins out. Uh, Ohio State, Penn State, the loser of that game wins the rest of their games. The loser of LSU Alabama um, wins the rest of their games. Um, You're talking about, Two teams right there that certainly have a strong case and would likely be, obviously, the Big Ten champ, the SEC champ, and uh, Clemson. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at, let's just say, either an Alabama or an LSU, a Penn State or Ohio State. Those are the competition for Oregon. I I don't think Utah would match up very well resume-wise or optics-wise against a Penn State or an LSU or an Alabama-Ohio State. And that's the competition at this point of how it might play out. I think that Oregon would have a better chance. I still think they'd be behind those teams. But a lot would depend upon how those teams look and not just whether they win, but how they look. But I I think that it is true. I do think that, comparatively speaking, Utah is a little bit better – On the defense, the defensive front's a little better. Oregon's got a really good offensive line. Um, I I think that both are just on the outside looking in. And I think as I got them stacked up, I think LSU and Alabama and Ohio State and Penn State are all better than Oregon. And I think a loss by one of those teams to another is not going to likely change my mind. Although it could, depending on how they play. Well, the, 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 I what you're going to—I just think Oregon's tra- tra- got the best chance. But to your point, uh-huh. they're going to have an argument and they're going to be in the discussion. Yes, uh, because it would be the only loss, and the only loss would be to Auburn at the beginning of the year. And Utah would have less of an issue, less of the argument. But they're a pretty good team, and they may be just as capable. And if yeah, they you- beat Oregon, beat Oregon, why not? But I think that's kind of how it'll play out. If it's- Utah's argument would be that in their one loss, Zach Moss got
1: hurt. Correct. And and they're a different team when Zach Moss is healthy. And, and you can argue that if he was healthy, maybe they win that game, and, and it's a whole different story. They're an undefeated Pac-12 champion. That's their argument. We know the Oregon argument is going to be hey, we're, we're a one loss Pac 12 champion. We beat Utah, who was, had a one loss on their schedule, and our only loss came with nine seconds left on a neutral field against Auburn, right? That's going right. to be their argument. But you're right. They're going to be compared to a one loss non champion from one of these conferences. It's going to be maybe it's the loser of Alabama LSU, whichever one does not go to Atlanta is going to have an argument if it's Penn State or Ohio State whichever one does not go to Indianapolis is going to have an argument and those are the teams that the Pac-12 champion is going to have to go up against and it might not be fair because those team those two teams might not play, they're not going to play in their conference championship, but that's just the way, that's just the way it is, Chris, and the Pac-12 fans and and people, they, they understand it. Larry Scott has to understand that, that that's just the way that it's going to be. They're going to be compared against those schools.
2: Well, and again, let's look at it, and in, in, folks, it's not going to end up this way because it never does, but. Never does. It never does. Clemson wins out. Ohio uh-huh. State wins out. Let's just say Alabama wins out. So you, you, those three teams in, and, and, and again, it, it won't play out that way. But you just, mm-hmm. just for the sake, it is. So now you've got LSU, or you can flip LSU with Alabama, Penn State, and you can flip Penn State with Ohio State. You've got those two teams. You got one along, loss, along with Oregon. Along with Oregon, one of those three, because I don't think I think Oklahoma would be way behind even Oregon. You've because got of one of loss, those yeah. three teams for one spot. Mm-hmm. So. Oregon's not just competing against one of those teams, they're competing against two. And I I just think a lot of it depends on how I play. Look, it depends upon how the LSU-Alabama game looks. From both viewpoints, not just who wins. I'm going to tell you, a lot of people right now, and again, it's all conjecture. A lot of people feel like that Alabama-LSU game, as big as it's going to be, a lot of people think, that both teams are going to make it. And I, I, well I, I think that unless somebody decisively wins, probably got a pretty good chance. Um, and it re- it really does depend, and, and quite frankly, it mo- it probably depends the, the, the biggest games that are going to ultimately determine it. Yeah, can Oregon win out? Can Utah win out? You know, one or the other. And then it'll probably come down to the LSU-Alabama game, And the Penn State Ohio State game, and how it looks. How does the loser look in that game? How good does the loser look? And then are they able to finish the deal and win the rest of their games? Because in both cases, the loser's not going to make their conference championship game, but it's going to be there with one loss against perhaps the number one or number two team in the country. And that's probably good enough to get them into the fourth spot over a Pac 12 champion, Oregon and at this point definitely ahead of a big 12 champion oklahoma i think that in order for oregon to get in that the loser of lsu alabama the loser of penn state ohio state either is going to have to lose a second game mm. or look so unimpressive against the you know the 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 other team Penn state against Ohio state, Ohio state against Penn state, LSU against Alabama, Alabama, that they're going to have to lose so decisively that people just say, you know, got to go. Then that's where Oregon slips in. So I think they're on the outside looking in and are going to need help. That's kind of the way I see it with that said, folks, relax, take a chill pill because there's so much football left, even though we're going to week 10, that how it looks, how you play, and it's those nondescript games that that style points matter and all that's going to have a great deal of effect on how we shake these teams out. I know right now, I think that there's, you know, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, I think Clemson, Penn State, I think all those teams are a little bit better than Oregon, but I actually got Oregon at six. Now, you can make the case that Oregon's in there, you know, now, now there's another scenario that we're not discussing too, is What if uh, an SEC East team wins the SEC championship game? And who are they beating? And, Mm -hmm. you know, and and is it an unbeaten? So (laughs) if a Florida beats an Alabama, a Florida beats an LSU, how's that look? Probably if a Florida beats an LSU, you're looking at, you know, they each split, you know, one. You're looking at that. You know, again, how does it look? Do you take a team that lost the conference championship game but what made the conference championship I still think that probably LSU's body of work looks a little bit better than Oregon's and probably would be the difference. Um, but, you know, that would be the first loss because we're thinking in terms of the loser of Alabama LSU. But that's the assumption that the the winner of Alabama LSU – wins the conference championship because if you if florida or georgia wins the conference championship game then the the one lost team out of the west that doesn't make it i think is out because i think then it becomes the west champion so to speak would have the best chance of getting in or that's where maybe the loser of Penn State, Ohio State gets in. Oh yeah, we just confused the hell out of you out there, folks. We got a whole lot of scenarios that we're gonna we're gonna figure out as the days and weeks go along. But right now, it's pretty clear who's in it. But let's not count anybody out yet because the people that are out, there's there's a as you know, Scott, there's a way for the door to be kicked ajar based upon the people that are in have got to continue to win to stay in, or else it opens the door for somebody that. You know, I mean, and we see that going into the last week. We yes. can go on and on about, hey, this team is out. Well, they're out until somebody else, you know, spits the <laughs> bit and allow somebody back in so it's going to be well
1: we're we're going to have weeks and weeks of these
2: types of conversations here on the program
1: because as the rankings come out each week and as more games play themselves out we'll start to get a clearer picture uh or maybe a more muddied picture of what's going to happen with the college football playoff and the new Year's six but you mentioned the sec east chris so let's talk about the game of the week this week which is in the sec east and could very well be an sec semifinal, if you will it's george Georgia and Florida, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, which they don't really call it that anymore for political correct reasons, but it's in Jacksonville. This is a game that circled on the calendar every single year and is a different dynamic because of the neutral site, because of the proximity between the two schools and the location of the game, and because both teams are tied in the SEC East standings.
2: Yeah, and I think it's a different dynamic because going into the year, which we really just go on the personnel and what we think might happen, I I thought clearly Georgia was the better team. They would have a decided advantage, but it doesn't look that way to me now. It looks like this is going to be a real game. I think Georgia still has some advantages in the trenches, but can Georgia get enough out of the passing game? Can Florida defend the run well enough? Um, that's going to be the key. Um, I, I, I'm pretty confident in what I know what Florida is going to bring to the game. I think Dan is going to have a really good game plan. I think they're going to be very crafty on offense. They are probably going to be even better on defense because they're going to get some guys back. It looks like the secretary is going to be good. And it looks about um, Zaninga and Gunard are going to be back healthy at end. So, Look, I think all hands are going to be on deck, uh, and it's going to be a really good one. And I think this is, you know, really close. And I think we need to see what Georgia can do. Can they make enough plays in the passing game? Have they they fixed enough here in preparation to be the difference? Because I think that is what's held them back. You know, they've got a lot of talent. We've talked about Georgia with a lot of talent. But it's their inability at receiver to win and get open to making enough plays in the passing game that's allowed people to play them differently, restrict the game, low-scoring games, to which if there's a mistake here or there, I mean, look, in, in a 20-20 game, there, there's less variables. You know, when you're not able to separate from teams and Georgia's not been able to do it, they find themselves in a game uh, against the South Carolina. So if this is a close game, I mean, Florida knows how to play in these close games. Mm Um, they, they seeming to make a few plays, you know, offensively each and every week. I still think Georgia is the more talented team, but they tend to be a little bit conservative in moments. Dan Mullen is going to be aggressive. He's going to take chances. It's either going to pay off or it's going to lead to some mistakes that his fan base is going to criticize him on, but he's not going to play this in a very passive way. That's not him. Kirby likely will. So game on. And yeah, I, listen, I think this is, you know, may not get the publicity of next week's Alabama LSU game, but probably should. Cause I agree with you. I think this game with Missouri struggles and everything's happened. This is for the East. Mm-hmm. And this is also for, if it's for the East and you win out, it is for a playoff spot because it's for a spot to win the East for a spot to get in the SEC championship for a spot that if you win that, you're gonna make the playoffs. So this is a de facto playoff game in the first week of November, if you think about it. Oh, a hundred percent. That it's a playoff about- game that that you better win the rest of your games, yeah. or this, <laughs> this game won't matter. You know I mean? It, you know, but that's the point. This is this is what's unique about our sport.
1: Uh, How do we talked about Utah and Oregon and the potential for those two teams matching up in the Pac-12 title game? How do both of those teams, which have to go on the road Uh to face Utah, faces Washington, and and we talked about Oregon facing USC. How do both of those teams avoid upsets and stay
2: on track so that their path is clear to meeting in the Pac-12 title game? They better play clean games. They better play well because it would not surprise me if both are upset this week because they're both on the road, Washington will be well, they will have a great game plan and Washington can explode on you on offense. They're a little inconsistent in the passing game, but when they're on, they're tough. And, you know, Utah usually wins because they're more physical. They usually do all the little things. Well, and Washington is along the same lines. Now they've been a little bit more erratic, but if Washington's best game at it puts the best foot forward this week, they can beat Utah. They're capable of beating them. And I don't think it would be as big of an upset. It'll be an upset in terms of status, but it, it really wouldn't be that big of an upset. And USC is definitely capable with their receivers to get off to an early lead. But we know what USC is capable of. USC's not as talented as, the great USC teams, but they're still very talented, and this is a very dangerous game. No, I, I think these are dog fights, and I think it's the biggest hurdles that these two teams have the rest of the way. Um, this is the biggest hurdle that that Oregon has, and the biggest hurdle that Utah has um, the the rest of the way. And and I think these are these are big time challenges that you know. If I look at Utah. They got UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado, so they that's they, they'll take care of their business there. And Oregon's got Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon State. So uh, again, we just talked about how the big the Pac-12 is alive. Both of these teams are alive. Outside of playing each other in the Pac-12 championship game, this is the biggest game that they're going to play. Mm-hmm. And if Utah loses it probably not going to represent the south. And definitely are out of any national talks. In Oregon, you know, if they lose it then, you know, then then uh, heck we're talking about USC and, you know, a nice little Pac-12 conference championship game that's going to mean not a whole not going to mean anything nationally. It's going to mean something regionally. So I think these are two huge games that again in their own way while there it's not a playoff feel because they're going to need a lot of help in front of them. It's kind of like one of those divisional games in week tw- you know, eleven or twelve in the NFL where you you're trying to make the playoffs, you're gonna need some help, but you can't lose this game or you're virtually eliminated. This is yeah. what these games are like. So it's got a, a do or die feel to it. And if you do, you're gonna need some help and you need to finish. But I think both of these teams with a win this week went out. And then they obviously play in the conference championship game. A loss this week by one or both eliminates both and eliminates the whole conference. I mean, it's pretty big in its own right when you consider it. Uh, One uh, final
1: game that I want to touch on real quick before we wrap this episode up. Uh, Big matchup in the American Conference. Number 24, Memphis hosting number 15, SMU. Uh, I've been impressed with what Sonny Dykes has done. Shane Bushell, obviously, uh, coming over from Texas, is is the right quarterback for that offense. Uh, But the game is in Memphis, so I kind of give the Tigers the edge. That being said, SMU might be the group of five's chance
2: to get to a New Year's Six game. Yeah, it's really the only chance at this point because, you know, if you look at <clears throat> the model, like Appalachian and State, hit. maybe I, I come on, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, just the fact that you know SMU and the conference is a little bit better and they go unbeaten in the league. I, I think that's the the really the best chance. And you know, Memphis is seven and one. They're really good team, and as you mentioned in their own right, I think it's great for the league. To have the spotlight game. Yeah. I think the the, college game Yeah. Mm -hmm. The TV show is going there to Memphis. So it's great, um, you know, for the conference, for the league. Um, And no, I think both of these teams are really good. By the way, I mean, Cincinnati's pretty good uh, as well uh, over on the east side. But no, I think SMU looks really good. It should be a lot of fun, should be a lot of offense. uh, And I'm excited. It's going to go up against the Oregon uh, USC game. Uh, but it's going to get a national spotlight that's going to be a lot of fun for the for the country to see. I think it's great for those programs, great for Sonny, who's, as you mentioned, done a good job. Shane bouchel uh, has been outstanding. You've got really good receivers. Should be a lot of points. Should be a lot of fun. I absolutely agree with you there. So what can fans find on LandryFootball.com, Chris? Well, we go into all the breakdowns of all of these games. So we'll break down SMU Memphis. We'll break down – All the games and all the conferences, game by game, team by team, got some interesting matchups. You know, we've got West Virginia, Baylor. Can Baylor stay unbeaten? I don't know about the entire season, maybe even this week. A lot of interesting storylines, games, but we take you inside the film room, break down team by team, game by game. That's what we do for you. We review the games after they're played. So we're really excited about that. And uh, we think folks will, will get a better appreciation of the game, the college game, the pro game, the inside information, All of that, we take care of it for you at LandryFootball.com. We've got our 50% discount during the season, so please take advantage of it.
1: Absolutely, and be sure to follow Chris on Twitter at LandryFootball. You can listen to our daily podcasts for free on LandryFootball.com, including this one, the College Football Film Room Podcast, which you can subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts from or check us out on the Believe Podcast Network. All right, Chris, I'll talk to you next week after the debut of the
2: College Football Playoff Rankings. Oh, it'll be a lot of fun, you Looking forward to it.